Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. series that we started two weeks ago on the path of discipleship. Um, James started us off um, speaking about following Jesus and what that looks like. Pete continued and talked about what it means to deny yourself um, and to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. And today we're going to speaking about we're going to be speaking about what it means to abide in Christ, what it means to be with him and being with Jesus on this journey of discipleship. Um, I want to pray because I don't want to I don't want to talk too tough. Um, and then we'll get into it. Father, I thank you um, that what you have called us on is not to live without you, but to live with you. Um, thank you that you have given us the opportunity and the access to be able to commune with you every day and in every way. I pray, Father God, that as I speak today, would you show us the ways that that can happen. If it's already happening, fantastic. <laughs> but would you show us even greater ways that we can live um, yeah, with you, abiding with you and communing with you. Thank you so much that you're not here to condemn. You're not here to, you know, use a stick and to beat us up. But you're here to, yeah, draw us closer to you. So would you do that through your word and by your spirit? In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So today, as I said, we're going to talk about abiding in Christ. A little bit about what the structure would be like. I'm going to spend some time showing us the vision of what God wants for us and how he wants us to abide in him. And then we're going to look at practical ways that this can happen. You might hear some stuff and be like, oh, I did that already. That's amazing. Continue doing it, okay? Um, and then we're going to spend some time looking at the fruit of abiding in Christ. Um, amen. Before I do that, I want to share a little bit of a story um, of my life, actually. So I used to work as a sales assistant in New Look. Um, great discount, you know, 50% off, hallelujah. Um, so I used to work as a sales assistant in New Look. And I was so excited. It was my first proper job. Um, I think I was like 17 and I was really, really excited to like, oh my gosh, I've got money now. I can go out, I can buy things um, and I can look nice while I do so. Um, yeah, and I can, you know, engage with customers. I can serve them. I can, you know, talk to people on tills. It's just like a great job and I loved it. Um, after about a couple of weeks in, um, I started noticing something about my behavior, my habit. So before I started work, um, okay, so say for example, I walked into New Look um, in town and I would be the one to pick up clothes even before I clocked in, you know, because I'm like, I'm at work, I'm going to enjoy it, I'm going to move, I'm going to do what work says. And then a couple like weeks down the line, I noticed that, you know, I didn't want to do that anymore. Like I didn't, no one should call my name before I clocked in, you know, no one should say, if I can you go on tills or if I can you pick up a dirt, like no, I'm not, I'm not here, you know, I'm not. I'm not available until I clock in. And when I clock out as well, I'm not available. So there was one time that I was in the staff room and there was some mess in the staff room. And, you know, obviously you should clean up the mess because it's, it's staff room. But I said, well, I'm not clocked in. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not here. I'm not available. I, I'm not going to do any work because um, I've not clocked in yet. And lo and behold, as I was walking with Christ, I realised this habit was seeping into my relationship with God. Um, and there were times where God would say, Ifa, why don't you meet with me on a Monday night? Why, would you, why, why don't you meet with me on a Tuesday morning? And my habit from working was, was like, oh, it's not Sunday. You know? 
I'm, I'm not talking to God. <laughs> Why do you want to talk to me now? Why do you want to be with me now? It's not that time yet. I don't want, I don't need to be around because I'm not clocked into that time with you. And it may seem, you know, like, oh, if of course you shouldn't, you know, clean the staff room beforehand. Of course you shouldn't pick up a hanger if it's on the floor because you haven't clocked in. But as I said, these habits can creep into our relationship with God. Where being with him is a compartmentalized aspect of our lives. And if there was an invitation to be with him outside, outside the confines of a Sunday morning or a quiet time that we've set aside, um, or even a Wednesday night, we, um, yeah, we become detached because we're not clocked in. And we say things like, oh, not yet. I'll wait until that time. He's just, I'm not ready. Um, and we get really good at obe- obeying God in the confines and parameters that please us. But the invitation to be with Jesus is bigger than Sunday and Wednesdays and conferences and prayer gatherings. The invitation to be with Jesus is to always be clocked in. Amen? So the first point I want to make is God's vision for our discipleship is Extensive. And I'll explain what that means um, in a little bit. But out of, all the, out of any analogy and frame of reference to remind the disciples of what to do and how to be with Jesus when, yeah, when he's no longer with them, Jesus chose to show the picture of a branch and a vine. Um, the slides will come up soon. But John 15 sits really well in the middle of Jesus' farewell to his disciples, which is in chapter 13 and 17. And he's given them encouragement and reminders of how it will be when he is no longer with them. And the picture he chooses to remind them of how they should relate um, when he's no longer with them, when he, you know, he dies and he ascends into heaven, is this one. We're going to read it. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me and bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. Remain in me is said quite a lot there, right? Yeah? Are we we following? Yeah, it's because that's what he wants us to do. (laughs) He wants us to remain in him. He doesn't want us to remain in our abilities or in our work. He doesn't want us to remain in how good we are, but remain in his love for us. I think it's worth noting that he didn't choose the picture of a clay and a potter like, you know, Jesus has done before. He didn't choose the picture of a yoke and an ox, as Jesus has done before but of a branch and a tree. And I think it reminds us that the way of life and being with Jesus is a way of abiding with him and a way of being with him. The picture of a branch is not, and the picture of a branch and a tree is not one that requires action or exertion by either party, but one of oneness and togetherness. And David um, Guzik says this, um, he says, he says, of, of the many pictures of the relationship between God and his people, the vine and the branch picture emphasizes complete dependence and the need for constant connection. Dot, dot, dot. He would remain united to them, his disciples and us now being part of him, um, if you believe in Jesus, and they to him as truly as branches are connected to the main vine. And I think that's the picture that God wants in the end. Um, we're going to look at Revelation 21. But it's also a picture that he wanted at the beginning. 
as well. Um, Revelation 21, 20, 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And this is a language that I've seen throughout the whole of scripture. That God is not saying, I want to be God up here and then you be people down here. But he actually he wants to break or even... Yeah, reduce that divide and he wants to dwell with us. So let's see some of the scriptures. I'm going to start in Exodus. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens. Next slide, please. Under the burdens of the Egyptians. Um, again, in Ezekiel 36, 28, he says, You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. But this command I give them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. Jeremiah 7.23, Jeremiah 31.33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Since Exodus, since Genesis, God has been saying, I want you. I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you. I want my commands in your heart. I want your desires to be mine. I want your appetites to be mine. Since then, he's been saying, come, let us be together. Let us dwell together. And if you believe, oh, but that's just Old Testament. Let's go into the New Testament. Let's see what happens there as well. What kind of language is Jesus using um, to kind of remind us of this vision that God wants of us? Jesus said to him, I have been with you for so long and you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. The desires that we see that God had in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus, where Jesus was able to dwell with God and fully be with him, just as we are called to do so, being perfectly one with him. Amen? Amen. And I love that, you know, God didn't just say, this is a good idea to bring in when Jesus came. He was like, no, this is how, this is the way he always wanted it to be. <laughs> with us, walking with us, being with us, working with us. And I dare I say that as we mature as a Christian, the mark of our maturity is not moving towards more events and more crash dates or even more um, outreaches, but oneness. The mark of our maturity in Christ is our unity with Jesus Christ. Him in you and you in him. I think John 17, 22, 23 is a perfect picture of the relationship that God wants to have with his people um, as, he has, as he has revealed it in Jesus Christ. Another way of kind of explaining this, sorry, I've just got to move back, go back. Um, another way of explaining this is that <clears throat> God wants us to have a full embodiment of him. Um, and when I say embodiment, I mean when someone or something takes the full nature of an idea or a place. And a lot of things come to mind, but one thing that came to mind when I was doing this is Jodie Comer. Again, I'm not saying we should go and listen to it, or well, watch Jodie Comer, but... Um, I think she's a great actress. Sorry, maybe I should keep my opinions to myself. Um, but I would watch Jodie Comer on um, like YouTube interviews. She's she's an actress, and she's like really she's from Liverpool, and 
I, I wouldn't have known that because the role that she played or the roles that she played don't show um, where she's from. And <clears throat> at times I think to myself like, oh, like Jodie, you don't, you don't have the same accent as the role that you played on the movie. You don't dress the same as the role that you played on the movie. You don't make the same decisions as the role that you played on the movie. But that is what it means to be an actress, that you take on the role um, of that character or the, uh, yeah, the nature of that character so that you can be like them. And I remember watching an interview of her and I was like, wow, like, you, you did really well because I didn't believe that you, know, you were actually an international renowned assassin. But she's just Jodie from Liverpool, you know, like this is what embodiment can look like, that we can, we can take on the full nature of someone, even if we're not like them. So how can this happen? Can I really be Ife from Bolton and the child of God? You know, can I really be um, Andy from the Heatings and the child of God? Can I really be Jimmy from the Heatings and the child of God or Billy from the Heatings and be from the child of God? Um, and I want to say, yes, we can. But scripture calls us to more. Scripture calls us to more than just being an actor of Christ or taking on the role <coughs> of Christ. We are called to be, yes, Ifeth from Bolton and child of God, but not interchangeably, right? We're not called to be Ifeth on from Bolton on a Monday and then child of God on a Sunday. You know, we're not called to be Andy on a Tuesday and then child of God on a Wednesday. We're not. We're called to take on the nature of Christ, but not interchangeably. We're, we're called to do it all the time and the call to being a disciple and being with Jesus is more than being an actor no matter how good you can be no matter how great the facade is we're not called to be actors of Christ we're not called to be a fan it's more than just simply taking on the role as I said it's more than occasionally taking on his nature occasionally taking on his thought processes occasionally talking like him when other people can see you it's more than occasionally doing an interview about how great this person of Jesus is. The call to be a disciple of Christ and being with Jesus is greater. It's a call to be two places at once. And John Mark Comer said that, so I'm just throwing it for him. But he says, being with Jesus requires us to be in two places at once. And I think this was exemplified if you're thinking, how is that possible? How can I really be you know, Charlie from the Heatons, you know, and a child of God. How? It's not possible. It is, because we've seen it in the life of Jesus. <coughs> Where am I? Amen. People also ask Jesus, how can you be the Son of Man and the Son of God? How can this carpenter be the Messiah? After sharing wisdom to the Jews in the synagogue, people would say to him, this is in um, Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 13, verse 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his Mary, not his Mary, is not his mother called Mary? And not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? Amen. I think to see Jesus as being able to be with God here on earth gives us a blueprint of how we should be with him as well here on earth. Yeah? So as we're going through and you're thinking, God, I don't really think this is possible. Like, can I, are you sure it can't be interchangeable? Can I just not fake it till I make it, you know? It's like, no, it's possible because Jesus did it. He was both fully man and fully God. And I'm not saying that we're called to be fully man and fully God, but I'm, I am saying that we're called to live a life like Jesus and being with him here on earth, just as he did with his father when he was here. Okay, so... You've heard this, you've seen the vision, you've seen that it started in Exodus and it's going to continue to Revelation, hallelujah. 
Um, because this desire of God, it's not going to go away. He wants to be with his people. He wants to be with his family. Um, and you might say, okay, well, tell me what to do. Give me three things. Tick boxes. <laughs> um, and I do this as well. Like someone, it's January. I feel like everyone has fitness goals in January. But someone showed me um, this, this woman. She's so toned. She's really like, her body's great. Um, and I was like, wow, I, I want to be like you. Like, I want to see that. So then I got up and I like, was jogging on the spot for two minutes. And I was like, oh, well, that, that should do it. <laughs> you know, like, that should be fine. Um, and then there was another time, I think it was like Saturday night, I was treating myself to a takeaway. And I had double carbs. You have like naan and you have rice. Don't do it. Anyway, so I was having double carbs and I, was, and I saw a picture of this woman again. And I was like, oh my gosh, no. And I was like jogging on the spot again because I was like, I can see that this is a good idea. Let me have a quick fix of how I can get there. But now you've seen the idea, now you've seen the vision that God wants to dwell with his people as we want to dwell with him. You might think that there's a quick fix to being like him. There's no jogging on the spot for two minutes thinking that will solve the problem. <coughs> um, no, there's, there's a... There's, sorry, so that's, that's the point. There is no jogging on the spot for two minutes. Um, I want us to expand our appetites a lot more to a lifestyle of being with Jesus. It's not to jog on the spot for five minutes. It's not to receive a magic potion and be on our way. But to be with Jesus, we can't expect the fruit without the lifestyle of being like him and being with him. We're not called to be fruitful without being with Jesus. So the second point is, God's vision of discipleship is a lifestyle. Amen. So I'm going to touch on three practical ways that we can do this. Um, three practical ways that we don't just act like Christ. <laughs> um, we don't just have an interview and talk well of him. Um, but three practical ways that we can truly be him. And before I do that, I want to go back to verse 5. Um, I'm going to read verse 5 and then I'm going to explain. <coughs> I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, and I think that order is really important, right? Because <clears throat> I am the vine, you are the branches. You know, if we were the vine and he was the branch, then the responsibility of remaining would be on us, right? We would have to be the ones to keep ourselves. We would have to be the ones to prune ourselves. We would have to be the ones to attend to and care for ourselves. But that's not the order. His responsibility is clear. He is the one doing all those things that we cannot. And our responsibility is to remain. And in our minds, oftentimes when I hear this, I get a tug of war, you know, or get a tug of war. There's a tug of war in my mind. It's like, God, are you really sure that's all I have to do? Is the gospel that simple? You know, is that, is that really it? Are you sure? Um, are you sure I don't have to add a little bit more? Are you sure that I don't have to strive? Are you sure that I don't have to prove myself of your love and it's like no you know we are the we are the branch he is the vine when we are in him he is the one willing or causing us to to will and to do the things that please him i believe that's philippians and whenever we get a tug of a tug of war in our minds in the morning and we have so many cares and responsibilities god is still saying pay attention to me first look to me remain in me live from my love you, don't, you no longer have to strive to be accepted. Live from this place. Abide in me. Inquire of me. And we say things like, God, have you seen the things I've got to do? I'm too busy for you right now. 
I'll wait. Like, I'll just put you to the side. I'll compartmentalise you until another time. I'm going to say, no, remain in me. Have you seen the schedule for this week? The people in my family that need my help. There's no time, God. And he's like, no, remain in me. Continually speaking with me, dwelling with me. As a church, and, and I think as people, I think would do really good if we, we got, would do really well, should I say, if we got good at remaining in God's love. And when I say that, I mean turning our hearts and our attention towards him every day as we're walking and as we're moving. Amen. He is the one in control because we are in him. He is the vine and we are the branches, not the other way around. Someone like someone, someone like someone, something that someone used to say to me was, just get in the washing machine if it's automatic. <laughs> you know, like, we don't have to exert the effort, but we do have to respond to his love for us and remain in him. So, one of those things that we can do is pray. And that sounds so simple. It's like, oh, we pray every day. Um, but honestly, guys, it's the simple things that done consistently that bring the change. We're not trying to do intensity here. We're trying to do simple things consistently. Um, as I said before, if, if you're doing this already, fantastic. Lean more into it. And if there's something that I'm going to mention that you're not doing, consider how can I put this into practice this week? So one of those, one of those things I said is prayer. And James Lanneran says this. He says, prayer, something on this line, prayer is not a spiritual gift. There is no such thing as a gift of intercession. There's no such thing as a gift of prayer. We can't outsource our prayer life from the prayer team. I was like, gosh, <laughs> you know, like, that is so true. That is so true. And it, I think it, it changed the way that I view prayer. Um, because oftentimes we think prayer is for the people who can, like, you know, that are really good at it, you know. Praise for the person who's on the worship team. Worship team. Praise for the people who are on the prayer team. Um, but it's true. There is no gift of prayer. We're all called to commune with God. We're all called to hear from him and respond to him with words and with praise. And it's easy to think that because someone is good at praying or has developed the practice of praying, should I say, that they are gifted to pray. No one is gifted to pray. (laughs) What if they simply, when I say they, those on the prayer team, what if they simply just accepted the invitation to practice speaking to God and hearing from God through the help of the Holy Spirit? That's praying. That's, That's just, it is what it is, you know? That's it. We are always invited to commune with God. And we're invited to respond to him. What if what we thought was a gift was just practice and obedience? So I want to ask you, how can you take steps of obedience and practice of being with Jesus through prayer? And as I said before, because Jesus Jesus showed us how to be with God, we can see his life and also consider how to be with him. He did this easily. Okay, not easily, but he did this often, <laughs> you know. He went away often. He communed with God often. He said, I'm not going to do anything without consulting God. I'm, all, I'm only about my father's business. He communed with God often. So how can you this week set aside some time to pray and commune with God? If it's language that's the issue, because sometimes it's like, I don't know what to pray. Like, there's so many things happening. I don't even know where to start. Pray the scripture. As you open your Bible in the morning on your way to work, on your phone, or even a, a, a physical physical book, well, their physical physical book, why not pray the verses that you read? Um, Psalms is always a great place for me to start because the psalm is filled with thanksgiving, lamentation, gratitude. 
And my go-to is normally Psalm 136, because um, it says something like this, verse 1 to 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God, God of God, God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. And it, it literally continues with so many different things to give thanks to the Lord for, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when I read that, I might say something like, Father, I thank you that you are who you say you are. Father, I thank you that you are higher than the highest, right? So we're reading the scripture and we're praying the scripture that we read. That's another way of, um, yeah, getting language if we don't have it. And as you start to use words in scripture to pray, um, you're working and you're growing your capacity for more. And it can start off small, it can start off with 10 minutes, five minutes. And I think we get so bogged down <coughs> with the length of time that we do, and, um, but actually never do it. Like, just come. So God, but I only have five minutes. Okay, come with the five, <laughs> you know? Come with the five, come with the two, just come. It's not about, oh, but God, someone, someone else spent an hour and 30 minutes. Okay, you have five, come with the five. But that capacity is going to grow because your desire is going to grow. But you need to be disciplined in that for your desire to grow. After this, as I said, you'll either be able to invite and intertwine prayers into conversations, into your cares, because it's a habit that you've built. The same habit that I built at work that came into my relationship with God is the same habit that I can build in my relationship with God that can come into areas of work, yeah? Amen. Another practice that we can adopt is community. And this is a bit strange, because when, when I was doing this, I was like, community, how is that a practice, you know? The, the call to be with Jesus surely is an isolation or isolated one, but it's not. The call to be with Jesus is not an isolated pursuit. So as I said, if we're using Jesus as a blueprint, he was alone with God, but he was also with people. So the, so, so the practice that we conduct is the practice of community. We can lean into community in another way of learning the lifestyle of Jesus. The rhythm of Jesus was to be with people and to be alone. But he always knew when. Okay, I'm not calling us to be burnt out, but I am calling us to look like Christ. And that means that we will be with people and we will be alone. And we'll be with people and we will be alone. Amen. Because that's what Jesus did. And he did it really well. He knew when to say not yet. He knew when to draw away. And he knew when to move with compassion toward people. And whenever I hear things like this, I always think, oh God, like, I'm a bit shy, you know, like, don't really I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert it's just not part of my vibe you know like let me just come to check this out the back <laughs> you know no one needs to know I'm here you know let me not get involved um that's just how I operate and I remember God challenging me he was like yeah I know it's not what you're used to but what are you called to what vision are you called to and this is the thing that's why I think it's so important that I started with the with the idea or even the God's vision for discipleship is he wants us to be with him and with his people. So I want to encourage you. Let's remember that vision. What did God have in mind? We are called to live with God and with one another. And the way we spend our time should reflect this. And people here are in different areas of surrender and different lifestyles right now. But for you, what's the next step of surrender? How can you live this week in response to God's vision to dwell with him um, and with his people? Do you need to commit to two community group sessions a week? You need to commit to sharing your life with someone in the church and listening to them when they share theirs. Um, do you need to say hello to someone you haven't spoken to in church for a while? Do you need to offer a listening ear? Do you need to ask? 
actually for someone to pray for you? Or do you need to offer prayer to someone else? <clears throat> What's the next step you can take to lean into this vision of living like Jesus and being with him? And I don't want to answer that for you, but I want you to think about that. Amen. Another practice of Jesus that we can adopt alongside this, not apart from it, amen, is the Sabbath. And the Sabbath, honestly, like, I thought it was a choice. <laughs> okay, I'm going to explain. I shouldn't laugh. Um, yeah, like, when I, when, I, when, I, when I often hear the Sabbath, I thought, oh, like, that's what Jews did. Or, like, that's what Seventh-day Adventists, like, that's what they do. Like, I don't really need to do that. But when I think, okay, if the call is to be with Jesus, what did Jesus do? You know, what did he encourage his, his disciples to do? Um, and I think a part of that is ceasing and resting. And that's the Sabbath. It's ceasing to rest. And I'll explain. As I said before, oftentimes when I've heard the Sabbath talked about, I've heard defences of why we no longer need to practice it because Jesus is now our rest. You know, we don't need to do that anymore. Jesus, Jesus has come. Um, or how the practice of the Sabbath is a practice reserved for other religions or sub-Christian religions. And to that I say, yeah, that may be true. Jesus is our rest, amen? I'm not saying he's not. He is our rest. Hallelujah. Um, but something is also true, that the invitation to rest did not start with Jesus. It started in the garden because the, the desire of God includes rest. <laughs> the desire of God to be with his people includes a healthy flow or a healthy rhythm of work and rest, of work. And I believe we're still being invited to rest, but now to rest in Jesus. In fact, we're commanded to do so. It's, it's part of the Ten Commandments. And I'm, I'm going to, if you get Jen Wilkin up on the next slide, um, I think the issue that we have often is we get so caught up in the imp implications and implementations, you know, just as the Pharisees did, did. You know, you can't pluck this on the Sabbath. You can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't, you know... You know, you can't roll up your mat on the Sabbath. There was a healing that happened at the pool of Bethsaida, I believe, um, that the Pharisees had an issue with because it was done on the Sabbath, right? Like, you can't heal on the Sabbath. You can't, you can't do anything. You can't work or till or, yeah. It's like, let's not get caught up in the implication of, in, and implementations that we do away with it entirely. But Jen Wilkins says this, true Sabbath rest is set apart as holy. It is intended for worship as much as wealth and for well-being. The fourth word, this is in her book, so she means the fourth commandment, does more than tell us to relax. Sabbath rest is distinct from idleness, resting without first laboring, and different from simply having gotten enough sleep. The word Shabbat means cease. To, to, to Sabbath is to cease activity for the purpose of remembering God's provision, that we might worship him as we ought. Being well rested and taking care of ourselves are good things, but they are best as sin obedience to the fourth commandment. Amen. Um, I believe we're still called to do it. We're still called to cease and to remember. We're still called to cease and to lean into areas of worship and, and yeah, and glorifying God. And that can look different for different people. So something that I often practice uh, for, 20, for 24 hours, I, ha I have to think, how can I orient my life to cease and to worship? to cease and to wish and to remember something i do is i cease social media i cease conversations i limit the conversations i have i cease unnecessary chores and deadlines for example i might not cook on the sabbath <laughs> or i might not over exert myself on the sabbath in the kitchen 
And then I lean more into other things. For example, I have more extended times of worshipping with a song. I have more extended times of worshipping with words. Um, I'm quite creative, so I might write something, I might draw. <clears throat> and then I lean more into solitude as well and being alone. Obviously, I am here, so I'm not alone. But I still think this is a place that I can worship God. Amen. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't be with people on the Sabbath. I'm saying that we should cease and we should lean more into worship and remembering so what can you put in your life that would allow you to do this that's up to you to decide we are commanded to loosen our grip on control to acknowledge god is infinite and we are not to believe that rest that the rest that is to come in eternity can be ours today because of jesus christ and when you start this it's really hard because it's like oh god there's so much to do there's so that people need me there's so many deadlines and there's so many things and you have to remind myself I'm not the one in control of my life. You know, I'm not the vine. I'm the branch. You know, the vine will keep me. The vine will sustain me. Um, and a friend often uses this analogy whenever talking about change, and I love it, so I, I use it all the time. Um, and he often recalls a time when he was moving house. Um, and it so happens that the houses that he... Wait. The house that he moved from and wanted to move into were not far apart at all. Um, the, the only difference was the exit on a similar roundabout. So for his old house, he would take the first exit on this roundabout. For, for, but for the new house, he would take the third exit. And for two weeks, I'm telling you, my, my guy would, would take the first exit, even though he's moved house, um, because he was used to it. You, you have muscle memory, you just kind of go to that direction because it's where you, what's normal. Um, and he had to tell himself, actually, like, actively remind himself, you don't live there anymore. You live somewhere else now. You don't have to do that anymore. You live somewhere else now. You need to go to the third exit. But now, the third exit is so familiar to him because he had to pay attention. He had to be intentional to where he was going. Um, that it's not an issue for him anymore. And when I'm talking about practices and habits, the issue can be applied here. Because we can go back home and go back to what we're used to. We can go back to the first exit and feel like we failed. You've not failed, you know. It's a practice that you have to develop over time and you have to pay attention to. These practices may be foreign to us right now, but it's not impossible to achieve. I love what James said, you know, at the, um, two weeks ago. He was like, the call of God, or the habits that we have is not law of gravity. They can change. They're not fixed points, um, but it is something we have to pay attention to. As I said, you may leave here and you may go back to the habit of worrying or go back to the habit of, stressing over things or go back to the habit of whatever your habit is <laughs> but when we know the third exit is possible the third exit is what we're called to and third exit by the grace of god is what we want over time with awareness and intentionality what was foreign before can become familiar because of consistency so i'm going to i'm going to list some objections now as to what we or what you guys might be thinking or even what i thought should i say when i when i hear calls like this when i say calls like this i mean a call to be more like christ um, and being with him and i want you to think you know have i ever said something like this am i currently living out of this objection um you can even make it a game spot the objection you know in my life um yeah so i don't want you to just listen but i want you to really engage have i ever said this am i currently living out of this <coughs> okay so one objection that I've spotted within myself, but also in scripture, 
Um, it was said something along the lines of, but God, I don't want to be a burden to you right now. You know, I don't know if this issue is worth coming to you for. I don't know if what I have you want to actually care about. You know, this issue is way too small. How will you be concerned about me and this right now? It's not massive. It's a small thing that I'll just figure it out myself. I don't really need you about it. And I believe I can see that same objection as well in Psalm 8, verse 4. Who is mine that you're mindful of him? Why do you want to pay attention to me? Why do you want to be with me? And I believe if that's you, God is saying, you're not an outsider to him. Your frame is not hidden from him. He knows your name and he wants you to draw near to be with him. Even with the small things or the things that we think are small. Small things matter in relationships, right? Like he cares for them because you're with him and he is with you. Another objection is, God, I'm not ready to be with you right now. I'm so frazzled and occupied. And this was Martha's objection, um, Martha and Mary. God, there's so much going on right now. Let me sort this out and then I'll be with you and then I'll come. Let me clean this place up, either within yourself or even in your environment. Let me clean myself up and then I'll come. And to you, God will say, is Jesus' blood not enough? Right? You're clean already. Come anyway. And this is in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. You're already clean. Come. Come. Another objection. Lord, have you been to my house? It's so busy and hurried. It's not quite enough to be with you. Let's wait until I have space for myself or space to myself and then I can come to you. The environment has to be just right before I come. I'm just not not ready. And to you, God will say, even if you made your bed in Sheol, am I not there? And that's a phrase from Psalm 139. I'm not saying we're in hell, hallelujah, but I am saying that there is no outward environment that can keep us from the presence of God. We are called to come anyway. And to every objection that I've mentioned, and every objection that I haven't mentioned, but you're still thinking, God is still saying, come. Just come. Just come. Just come. You know? And I want you to hear that. When you hear the but in your head, I want you to also hear, just come. Whatever it is, just come. Just be with him. That's what he wants. You don't have to be perfect. Just come. Speak with him. Be with him. And as I said earlier, we believe that the duration is what God is concerned about. But it's not. He wants your attention. He wants your appetite. He wants your desire. He wants you to... This is where you can look at. He wants you to just... Just come. Just come. James Boyce says this. When our Lord says, abide in me, he is talking about the will, about the choices, the decisions that we make. We must decide to do things which expose ourselves to him and keep ourselves in contact with him. This is what it means to abide in him. <clears throat> and I've said a lot of things so far, but honestly, just come. <laughs> just come. Ah, I don't and honestly, you can you can excuse yourself out of the presence of God. And he's saying, just come. Like you can have the great greatest intellect in this whole world and the, the response of God will be like have you finished <laughs> you know just come whatever it is just come and the last part I want to mention is God's vision of discipleship bears fruit um, I'm going to read <coughs> verse 6 to 11 if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be, may be full. Amen. Amen. The fruit from abiding, you know, there's, I think it's really good to, to make a point of this. There's no fruit from willpower. There's no fruit from, you know, repeating the same thing in the mirror again and again. You know, so, so sometimes I read these, like, motivational quotes and it says, like, if you just look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I'm going to be great, I'm going to be amazing. Don't get me wrong. I think the words that we say to ourselves is really important and the stories that we tell ourselves are really important. But here, God is saying... Just come and abide in me and there's going to be fruit from being with me. You know, there's no fruit from thinking really hard about how to do it. As James said before, you know, Jamie, Jamie had the shoes on. He said, what if now Jamie's put the shoe on? Um, would he be ready to, to run a marathon? You know, he has good intentions. <laughs> you know, he has, you know, support around him. Is he now ready? And our answer was, no, he's not. Because it takes more than our will to sustain us. It takes God's will, it takes his power and his strength. So the fruit is from abiding. There's no fruit from willpower, but there's no fruit from thinking really hard about producing fruit. <laughs> if I just think joy, <laughs> if I just think peace, if I just think hope, don't get me wrong, please think hopeful things. <laughs> um, amen. I pray that makes sense to you. But there's a repeated phrase here, if you abide, the fruit came from being with Jesus, a constant decision and orientation of our lives towards Jesus. We don't force this to happen. It's the natural overflow, overflow of a life in communion with Jesus. It's fruit. Amen. And, and you know, fruit that we've, we've seen in scripture is in Galatians 5. I'm going to read um, the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and self-control. And it's really great to, to look into our lives and see, can I see this fruit happening here? Um, and there's so many times in my walk with Jesus that I will become more compassionate with someone, more patient with someone, not because I willed it, but because I'm in him, I'm able to see them through him. Is that making sense? Yeah? I become more patient with their faults and with their failings. I've received so much grace, I can now give it to other people. And I think, whoa, where did that come from? You know? <laughs> How? <laughs> why am I so? Why am I patient with you? Why am I, why am I being compassionate to you towards towards you right now? But it's fruit from abiding with Jesus. And I praise God um, that the next question that I, I can often ask myself um, is is this: Where in my life is this fruit being pruned to bear even more fruit? Right? Because because the Bible says that those that are bearing fruit, they're going to be pruned. Because it's easy to get comfortable in what we are really good at and what is familiar. But is a new relationship showing you aspects of your life that God wants to work patience again? You know, um, can you see the fruit of self-control with a co-worker <laughs> um, that is being pruned and being worked out in your life? There are ways that God still wants to work in our lives as we walk with him, be with him. He will begin to show it to us. So yes, there is fruit and yet he wants even more even more fruit. He's not going to stop. And I'm so glad that God is not going to stop with me until he has all of me. Okay? I am so glad that he's not going to stop until Revelation 21.3 is established. 
Another fruit we can see is answered prayer. And sometimes I'm like, how is that a fruit? Like, what? How is answered prayer? Sorry, I have this dialogue when I read scripture, and I think we should have dialogue when we read scripture. But I was reading it, I was like, how is answered prayer? Well, the Bible says that whatever you ask in me, I will do. And I'm like, what? How is that a fruit of being a disciple? What if you don't answer my prayer, God? Am I not a disciple? <laughs> how is getting what I ask for proof of knowing who I ask? And I, I still, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to read what I said. Is it a sign because we begin to pray what you desire? And I believe that it is. There's an assurance that as, as, as we continue to abide with God, there's an assurance that we will be heard and we will be, and we will be paid attention to. The message translation says, but if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. And I think answered prayer shows who we're connected to, who is our source. And we can pray with a confidence that when we speak, God will hear. As we we abide in him and his ways, his thoughts abide in us. We begin to pray what he wants for us. We begin to pray his kingdom to come and for his will. We desire his desires, and that is fruit of abiding in Christ, that we desire his desires. And I think that's good fruit. <laughs> I think that's good fruit, and we can rejoice in that as well. The last, last part I want to make, um, point I want to make is the fruit of obedience. How is this a thing? <laughs> How? How is obedience a fruit of abiding in Christ? And I wouldn't have called it a fruit. I would have often called it a box to tick to make sure that I'm a Christian. <laughs> um, but it makes sense. As we join our lives to Christ, as we're walking with the Holy Spirit and living the life of Jesus and being with him through prayer and community and Sabbath rest and all the other practices available, obedience is our agreement to that lifestyle. It's us saying, yes, I agree. Right? Obedience is our agreement to that lifestyle. As I said, for too long, obedience has been talked about as a hurdle to climb, a box to tick to make ourselves feel more holy. But obedience is a nod and a giving of ourselves in agreement to the lifestyle of Jesus. And it starts slowly. We may not agree with his lifestyle, so we disobey and we live our lifestyle. We live what we want to do. But as we draw near and as we're in him... And we say yes to the invitation and the commandment a step at a time. We can see how more, how quickly we are to obey because we are abiding in him. And because we agree with what he wants us to do and how he wants us to be. Amen? I've said a lot today. Yeah, someone said, yeah, that's so cheeky. Um, <laughs> but I've said, I've said a lot. I've, oh, yeah, man, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I just pray that God will continue to expand this in our hearts. Yeah, Father, I pray the seeds that I've said will not remain seeds, but would you pour, um, yeah, would you pour on them and would they bear fruit in our lives? Um, yeah, I've said a lot. Like, I've said visions and ways that we can be a disciple, objections to being a disciple, fruits of walking and being with Jesus. And it would be great if you're thinking now, like, oh, that was great, affair. thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't want it to stay great. <laughs> I want us to walk out of here and Think about how can I begin to not just hear this vision and see this vision, but actually walk in it. Can, what, what habit can I, be, can I pick up? Um, and how can I orient my life towards this vision of being with Jesus? What is the next step in this lifestyle that I can take on 
Because it's a daily commitment. It's a lifelong decision to being with him and being like him.